Welcome to the Everything Early Childhood podcast designed for approved providers, nominated supervisors and other childcare leaders. This fun, lighthearted and very serious podcast features weekly episodes on strategy, advice and conversations with fascinating and inspiring people from across our sector. Join the journey and have access to the tools and inspiration you need to create high-performing childcare businesses. Let's get started. Hello, friends, and welcome to another episode of Everything Early Childhood. I am your host, Lisa Brown, and today we have an exciting episode for you. It is one that's definitely close to my heart and wanted to share. I'm passionate about everything early childhood, so I was about to say something I'm really passionate about, but um, it is something that's really close to my heart. Something is part of my purpose and my reason why and for getting into early childhood and has come directly from you guys. So I'm excited to jump into that. But Before we do, I wanted to jump in and share some fantastic news with listeners. And um, before we dive into today's content, I want to take a quick five just to chat about something that's been on my mind and apparently on a few of your minds too. So I've had the pleasure of interacting with some awesome clients lately. And guess what? A few of them dropped the classic line. I didn't know you did that. Well, consider this my public service announcement. Um, We do more than you think. So now I'm not going to aim for anything tacky or sales and I don't want to be salesy. So let's keep it real. And I also don't want to be the world's best kept secret. So imagine this, you're chatting with your friend about their super amazing new car and you go, oh, you didn't know the car could fly too. Well, surprise, that's sort of how I'm feeling right now. So in case you didn't know, we're not just here for your usual suspects. Just like the namesake of our podcast, we do everything early childhood. We're like your trusty Swiss army knife for whatever challenges come your way in 2024. So do you need some personalized training for your team? Boom, we've got you covered. Struggling with your QIP or self-assessment? No worries, we're your sidekick. Feeling overwhelmed and need a bit of strategy magic. We've got you covered. Want to be prepared for ANR? Let's do this together. So we travel all around Australia, even to remote parts. In fact, this year, just in the first three months, I'll be traveling to Adelaide, Victoria, Sydney, Central Coast, Northern Rivers, Gold Coast, Brisbane, Townsville, and Mackay. And of course, We've just opened expressions of interest for our Directors Academy kicking off on the 1st of March. I have been absolutely loving connecting with incredible leaders this week who are ready to shine and make 2024 their best year yet. So it's like finding out that your favorite actor can sing and dance and maybe even cook a mean lasagna. Who knew, right? Well, now you do. So if you've been scratching your head thinking, I didn't know you did that. Fear not. We're just one. We're not just one trick pony. We're here to help, support, and maybe even surprise you along the way. So let's keep the conversation going. If you're curious, reach out. We're ready to blow your mind. <laughs> um, reach out. You can view more information on our website www.platinumed.com.au. Now let's get into today's topic. Recently, I came across a post um, from an early childhood teacher asking the fundamental question, and I get this question 
a lot and it comes up periodically, particularly this time of the year. And with new ECTs starting in new in leadership roles, what is school readiness? And is it okay for children just to play? And I found it really intriguing. And so I reached out and I shared some of my insights around it. And I wanted, I thought, let's go into more depth. Let's go into more detail in our podcast today, all about school readiness um, and my thoughts around it. This is close to my heart because for those of you that know me well, um, from in my entire schooling, as young as I can remember, I continued to ask my mum over and over again, mum, why do I need to go there? What do I need this for? How is this useful to my life? And she just said, you, because you need to go. And there was never a real explanation or a reason behind why I needed to go. So it never really made sense to me. And so I struggled and that was a battle for me my my entire life until we got to a point where I got to choose. I could say, you know, and it took my mum a lot to get to that point to be like, it's okay, school's not for her. What else can she do? And, you know, look where I am today. I'm so damn proud of my journey and I'm so damn proud of how hard I worked and all that it took was for my mum to let go, be like, you know what, she's going to be okay. I found what it is that I love and I found what it is that I wanted to do and I've worked my ass off to get to where I am today. So and for any parents out there, for any teenagers out there, I really want to encourage you that if school is not for you, it is okay and it's not the end of the world. It means that you it is you just need to find what it is that you are looking for and you're those souls and creatures that have that curiosity in the world that there is more out there. So I was going to end with this, but I'm going to start with this instead. So I'm an advocate for independent schools, school alternate schooling. So if we look at different approaches such as Steiner, I really want to encourage education and we're going to delve into the system because I think let's talk about the system, who created it, what it was for, the questions that continually come up in services. And I'm sure that you won't agree with me with half of the things that I say and I, that's okay because I, I love and I prefer to have these conversations in person and it's very, very healthy, whether it's about this or any other topic, to have robust discussions and to say, look, this is what I think and this is somebody else's perspective. This is the research that I'm basing it on. What research are you basing it on? Okay, great. Let's find that middle ground. Let's work out what works for us. You're never going to agree with everyone and everything and it's it's totally okay. So with Steiner, we really, I believe in wholly educating a child, not just on the outside, but also on the inside. Having an environment where they're able to be hands-on, having an environment that's meaningful, having an environment that is allows the child to be a human, a person, a whole person, very heart-centered. Who am I? To be able to discover those questions. So who are they? What do they love? What are they good at? What are they not good at? What do they hate? Like this is what it is and this is the process that children are going through to understand the world around them. So taking a step all the way back to look at the education system as we know it, it's been around for 200 years and it's a formal education that was developed in the industrial age. So what it was is for factory owners, they required docile, agreeable employees and to showed up on time and did what their managers told them. So sitting in a classroom all day with a teacher was good training for that. And 
we and it hasn't changed much during that since those 200 years and this is what's really sad for our children today because in that school system and look there are schools that obviously have come a really long way getting into that research and and some that are going full circle back to that industrial age of rules and following which I've just seen on the media recently because they believe that children need that structure and they need that discipline and they need to know and to train them to be I don't know, citizens in the world. But if we look forward to the future, I really like to rephrase it a little bit and and look to the future and say, you know what? Because I get this question a lot. It's like, but Lisa, they're going into that environment. They're going into that space where they have to sit and listen. And are we doing them a disservice by not training them to be able to do that? And it isn't just about, it's not just about training them. It's about thinking about what, how are we setting them up for success? And it's not just success with the transition to school. It's success with transitioning into life. What is going to set them up for success in life? And sometimes when you phrase that to families, because I know a big part of this is the pressure that families put on teachers and put on their own children to succeed, not fall behind. It's a serious anxiety that families have that they don't want their child to miss out. And and some of that comes from their own experiences going through the school system and they don't want their children to have to go through that. And fair enough. But when we look at the whole child, I remember one of our parents at our service, he used to say, you guys are so good at teaching the children soft skills. And I, and it used to bother me. I was like, soft skills? Are you joking? Your child is an amazing human being. They're kind, they're considerate, they're, um, they would give to somebody and they can talk like the conversations and social skills that they have developed. And it was a really big process to educate families around why and I'm just putting it in his term these soft skills are the most crucial skills that children need in order to prepare for their next step in life and the reason being is and we used to say all the time like these children are going into a playground with potentially 300 plus children is the child going to be able to ask for help can the child toilet independently can the child really understand what where they should go if they need help and how to get help? Can they look after their own belongings? Can they toilet independently? Can they consistently find their classroom? Can they work out what food to eat for morning tea and lunch or recess and lunch? Can Are they muscles in their hands strong enough to be able to grip pencils? And then You as an educator or a teacher in your space, do you have the knowledge and the confidence to be able to have these conversations with families around how and the process with setting their child up for success? They don't just hold a pencil. There are definitely steps and processes along the way and on that journey to be able to strengthen those muscles in their hands to be able to do that. So look at that research, have that there, create your own little booklet to really educate families. It's a really crucial question to ask yourself, 
What is your role in this space as a teacher? What is your role in this space? And it's many things, but one of the most important things is that you are the professional. You are the one that has done all the training and the years required on child development, um, particularly early childhood. So it's important to share that process and share that knowledge with families so that they are able to have the whole picture and all the information. A really great place to start with school readiness is to team up with your local primary schools. So speak to your local primary schools in your area and then you don't you can get them in. So a lot of our services have them in every year to do a school Um, transition night where they meet with the families and talk about their school and it gives them a really good opportunity to be able to talk about what their school's doing but also to talk about what is important for their child to start school and that alleviates a lot of stress and a lot of pressure from families and but just make sure that that school is on the same page as what your philosophy is so have these conversations in advance but a really great question to ask the schools when you're building those relationships are can you just tell me what skills like if you were to pick top 10 in order from 1 to 10 what is the most important thing that you would like children to have and would set them up for success transitioning into this environment And then that way you have that information to base your entire program and curriculum around. Guaranteed it will be social, guaranteed it will be emotional, being able to sit on the mat, being able to ask for help, being able to use the toilet independently. My heart broke. So I'm primary trained as well. And in primary school, and this is not all, and I'm not all teachers, and this is not in all settings. In the setting that I went to, the teachers refused to help the children do up their shoelaces. The children, the teachers refused to um, help clean. I don't, I don't know. And it was, you know, and I had parents there, and they were like, "Oh, Lisa, we appreciate that you come from an early childhood background because you care, you care about the child, and you see them as an individual." And they felt that immediately because if they needed help, I was going to help and support them with whatever they needed help. They didn't touch the shoelaces because they were worried that they had been on the floor in the bathroom and that they would have you know we on them and I was like just have a set of gloves in your room if you're worried about that put the gloves on and help the child with their shoelace um, rather than the child just walking around with their shoelaces done all day but and it's a massive learning curve not only for the children but also for the families moving into this environment so they're used to having daily communication for one so sending off that daily communication with all the photos being able to have their teacher accessible to be able to ask questions to at the end of the day, when they move to school, that teacher's door's closed. If they want to have a meeting with them, it needs to be scheduled. Daily updates, oh, what's that? So if they come home, your, the child comes home with something from school and says something, then the parent generally will send an email to the teacher to follow up on it and find out what happened. So there's definitely a different relationship. So it's setting your parents up for success to know what that may look like and that transition we had a lot of parents come back being like oh I miss you guys so much I don't even get to see the teacher I don't even know what's happening in the room I don't
don't even know, you know, what this until they had parent teacher interviews and they were invited into that space. So it's a very, very different experience that not only we need to help children prepare for, but we also need to help families prepare for that as well. Now, I want to keep moving forward with this. And there's some things that I want you to look up. There's one picture of an x-ray of a hand and it's a hand of a child at three, five and seven. And you can see that the bone structure in their hand is not even at a stage, like the bones are further spread apart, the fingers are spread further apart and at different angles until they get to seven where you can see that the bones are more tightly knit together that's not the right word but then they're they're really aligned and you can see the actual bone structure change between ages so it's really intriguing to look at that and share with your families to show them one of the because one of the biggest things we get is but they need to learn to write their name they will write their name they will write their name Um, And those are the first letters that they learn, the letters in their name. So we will go through because I know in your in your minds, you're like, but if they're just playing, how are they learning? So let's go into it a bit further. So children's brains are fully developed by the age of six years. This is a fact. This is why early childhood is so crucial. If you look at the picture of a child's brain, which is another picture that I want you to Google, the number of neural pathways and connections at this age are the highest of all ages. They, this is where they're a sponge. They take in all of that information and their neural pathways start connecting together to form their understanding of the world. Now, this is why we have the power to make the most significant difference during these stages of children's lives. The other fact is that children's imaginations have decreased by 90%, yes, 99-0 over the last 10 years. So this steady decline in seeing a group of children who cannot think for themselves or solve simple problems. So coming back to the question, what are we preparing them for? The jobs that that we're doing now and the jobs that exist now are not going to exist when our little friends that are with us get to that stage of their lives. We are going to need innovative problem solvers that come up with their own jobs and own careers and more entrepreneurs who create solutions to problems that we have. Even in high schools now, it's a really beautiful um journey to hear conversations about how much they care about the environment and sustainability and what solutions they want to put in place for the future of our world. I I had a child, a four-year-old child in a conversation the other day asked me, is the earth dying? And because they'd seen a plant and the plant had brown on it and that was obviously something that was on their mind is the earth dying and we had a conversation I said why do you say that or why do you ask that and they explained about the plant and then we talked about well what can we do to make sure that or bring the plant back to life and to look after the plant and you know we were talking about that it needs water and it needs food just like us and having that conversation but children now are so much more aware of what's happening around them that we need to give them that information and teach them what they can do to make a difference as well. So 
with that, so the biggest one I get is, but Lisa, we're preparing them for school. They need to sit and listen. My response is, do I agree that the environment and believe children learn differently and need to move and play and explore? Yes. Can I control the school system? No. What I can do though is let them be children for as long as I can. What that means is to let them play. When we teach concepts and we teach skills and we teach um, different vocabulary around, you know, pre-literacy, pre-numeracy through play, the children then are able to play and utilize these concepts. Children learn best through role modeling and mentoring and being able to see the people around them. So even during their, you'll see this most during dramatic play when they pretend to be their mom or their dad or their auntie or a teacher and they start to mimic different things that they either see at home or see with their teachers. And you can see this is them making sense of the world. This is their little brain and those neural pathways connecting in their brain. This is them building their relationships, their social skills, their communication, their conflict resolution, navigating different roles within play and with and who they are in the world. It's really important to make sure that we are allowing time and space for that to occur. And I remember when a play-based environment came into effect and thinking that, oh my gosh, what is even my role here? And prior to that time, I was so excited to sit in front of children and teach them something. I was like, yes, I get to teach them now. I get to sit in front of them and I get to teach them. But what it's actually more challenging to facilitate, to be a play facilitator, because especially if you're a doer, so if you're a doer kind of person and you like to be constantly doing something, sitting in play with children and what is play? Like what is play? And there's been a massive disbalance and disproportion when play did come into effect. It was like slowly so and then all of a sudden now it's like, okay, we only play at this service but we're really structured at this service because we don't believe that play is best for children. But where we need to come to is that middle ground in the world where it's even through play, you can't just start playing. You do need to have that foundation of structure that, and it's more structure with your educators than it is with your children. But it's also with your children having boundaries. What are your boundaries? What can they, can't they do? Come up with those, um, what is it, a commitment um, in your classroom that they sign off on and that they agree on. And ask them, if, why? Why do we need that? Why do we need, why do we, is it important that we, um, ha- what happens and go through scenarios with them. So for example, um, if they can't, if, if they need a turn of something and somebody else has it, Should the other person give it to them? And this is where you have those beautiful conversations and discussions and see where they're at. And then you can say, remember when we had that discussion and we talked about what happened if a child um, you just do it is have something or your friend has something and you want it what are we going to do and practice 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 that language that they're going to use and that is where that the boundaries come into effect and right at the beginning stages of the year 
We want children to be able to confidently navigate in the playground. We want them to be able to look after their own belongings. We want them to be able to be confident. We want them to resolve that conflict. And there's often a concern among families whether their child is ready. And that is another question for concern. So, Ask yourself and have that conversation now. How would you determine if a child is ready for school and ready for that next step? And you really want to reinforce the importance in those skills that help eases the family's worries. When they see you as a professional and when you start sharing that information and you have that knowledge because knowledge is power. So that information is going to help that family feel at ease because you're like, look, this is what the research says. This is what the family, the teachers, sorry, the teachers have said in the school is important. Um, and this is why we do what we do. Another way is your communication. So every single piece of communication with families is so crucial to convey that to families, the importance of learning through play and it's play-based learning and a very significant distinction between free play and play-based learning. So free play and there should be definite times for free play during the day, independent free play, but it's our job as teachers and educators to facilitate that play, to be in those spaces, use all of the tools that we've built in our toolkit and intentional teaching strategies with children during these moments and during these times. And learning doesn't stop at mealtime and the play-based learning doesn't stop at mealtime. Have a question of the day. This is where some of the most beautiful conversations happen. One powerful example that I used to share all the time with families is making Play-Doh. And I actually filmed a video of the children making Play-Doh. We did it so often that the children were able to do it on their own. And whilst it might seem like a simple play experience, we know that the whole process from start to finish can just keep going, of course. It involves turn-taking, following a recipe, life skills, fine motor development, and preparing their hands for writing. They look at the, obviously, all the way from that beginning, they need to get all of the ingredients out. They need to measure them. They need to know what goes in it. They need to be able to distinguish what is this ingredient compared to what this ingredient is. And yes, they're looking at the distinguishing features, but they're also looking at what we call environmental print, which is print that they see all the time that they become aware of um, in their space. So children know the sign for Kmart, children know the sign for McDonald's, children know, but how is that? That is environmental print and things they see in their space all the time. So when we film that video, for example, Play-Doh in that experience, if we just showed the video to the families without any type of response and information, they would see it as a simple experience of just making Play-Doh. But it is so beautiful and powerful and all of that magic and goodness is all in there. Literacy, numeracy, fine motor skills, um, all of those social skills that are so crucial and so important. And so what we want to do is we want to educate families about the process behind that seemingly simple activity that is building confidence in their child as they participate in that experience. As as well, not as, 
as, as, as lost my train of thought. So the more that you do this, the more that you go back and the more that you utilize all communication strategies to be able to showcase what children are actually learning. So not just what they're doing, what are they learning by doing this experience and share those beautiful stories every opportunity that you can. The communication really helps families see you as the professional and it really helps with those communication channels with so it can be conversations parent nights handout learning documentation all aimed at soothing the worries through knowledge so knowledge is power so what else what other questions do we get in relation to transition to school well one of the most beautiful quotes that I used to share all the time with our families was we may, we may not be able to prepare the future for our children, but we can definitely prepare our children for the future. Something really beautiful at the start of the year is to talk about their wishes. What are your wishes for your children? What values do you want them to have within them and instilling them for the rest of their life? And then focus on those values and focus on those wishes um, and build that into your curriculum rather than us utilizing the language. What do you want for them to go to school? Are they ready for school? We need to change the perspective and change the framework and get them to think big vision and big picture not just one step beyond and ask yourself these are some beautiful questions that you can ask your team and really explore and discover and really do some self-reflection on what is our role as a teacher and educator in an early learning environment so what is your role the next one is how do children learn how do children learn Look at the research, look at the theorists behind that and what are your own personal values or beliefs around how children learn? And then the third and last one is what do children need to learn to be successful in life? So what is your role? How do children learn? And what do children need to learn to be successful in life? And that's looking well beyond and into the future where they are going to be and the jobs that are not even don't even exist yet. I remember in my first year of uni, and this is where this comes from, this story, is uh, my uni lecturer said to me, they said, the stuff you learn now is not even going to be relevant by the time you finish. And my brain was just like, well, what is the point then? Um, But it was great. And I I love learning. So I absorbed it all in, especially when it's, well, and this is a point, right? Especially when it's things we are interested in. So not just with children, but with ourselves. If we're interested in something, um, we are more likely to sit there. And there is statistics and facts around how much more likely we are to retain the information Um, when it's something that we're interested in over something that we are just not interested in at all. And you know yourself, if we put a movie on, I read something the other day actually, it said, if we watch a movie and it's crap, we give it five minutes and it's really bad, we just turn it off. 
we don't sit there hoping that it's going to get better. Sometimes I do, but um, we don't we don't sit there hoping it's going to get better. We just don't even give it a chance. We have moved to a society where we're like 20, 30 minute, uh, 30 second, not even 30 minute snippets of videos. And we're just like, oh, no, nah, don't like that video. Next, next, next. Um, and movies. So imagine with children, like if they are not interested, they are not they're not going to sit there for you. They're not going to learn. So the best way is to know them, get to know them. What is it that they are interested in? And this is where we embed the learning within what they're interested in. So our the school system was built to suppress children. Our job is to encourage children to have a love of of learning, to be an active learner, to ask questions and to seek out new information. We want to introduce those beautiful new concepts, early mathematical and literacy, but through play-based opportunities so that they have an introduction to it. They don't need to go in depth, just an introduction so that when it gets reintroduced later on, they're like, oh yes. And that neural pathway and that connection that they made to it, because you are so beautifully going to make Make it meaningful, real, authentic, and embedded into all areas of your curriculum and play, the children will get it. They'll be like, yes, that is where I've heard that before. I get it. Now this is where my curiosity is and I am an active learner and I want to participate in this. Now, still I'm seeing in services children being forced to sit and engage in letter of the week, letterland, phonic songs, and I want you to go back and I want you to review what is the purpose of it? Why? And how else can you do it that is more meaningful? Um, other services are still having 20 minutes each day where the children sit down and do um, workbooks. Why? What is the purpose of that? And this is genuinely me asking and you reflecting on why Why do you think it's necessary and where is it truly, truly coming from that you feel they need to sit down and do workbooks or worksheets with and, and explore it. Like ultimate, honestly and authentically say to yourself, Okay, is it that I want, I feel like, Lisa, I really feel that they need to write their name. I want them to learn how to write their name. Okay, great. Do they, then my next question would be, do they have to sit down for 20 minutes every day in this structured little group that you have and write their name? Like how else can you integrate it? Because this is, and this is the reason that I do early childhood and not primary, right? So when you go to primary, it's like, okay, it's math time. Get your math book out. It's handwriting time. Get your handwriting book out. And it is so um, segregated into these little compartments. Whereas in early childhood, we are blessed. We are blessed to be able to integrate things. Like I remember saying to my um my supervisor in in primary I'm like I can integrate that into a 20 minute morning session like it was on HSIE around the time time um what was it time there were a few different elements of of HSIE and one of them I remember was time and I was like but I taught I I I genuinely talk about the time with the children all day long and if I if I sat there 
And I got a clock out and I taught them how to look at the clock. And I'm not saying don't do this as a preface if they're interested in learning more. But and I showed them they would have no interest in that because it doesn't relate to anything in their life right now. It was like me at uni trying to learn maths. I hate maths. Maths was just something I'd loathed and I thought I was really bad at it. And I had that belief that I was really bad at it. Then in uni, it was um, it was one of my first subjects that came up. So I dropped it um, because you had to sit this maths exam. And I was like, uh, no, first semester in, I don't really feel prepared for this maths exam. Because at that time, if you failed the maths exam, you failed the entire course. And I was like, no, no, Lisa doesn't need that pressure right now. It's enough pressure getting through the first semester. So we just dropped that for later, Lisa's later problem. And so then later, obviously later, I had to do it and I did it in my last semester and I was so lucky because they, dro- they dropped the exam. They didn't have that anymore. But what they, oh, yes, they did. Yes, they still had the exam. Sorry, take that back. Um, but it was different. Instead of it being your applied maths and your knowledge of maths, it was an exam with teaching maths. But I am so grateful that I dropped that and made the decision to drop that in that first semester because when we finally got to it in the last semester, our lecturer was incredible. He just had this beautiful way of, and this is me as an adult learner, he had this beautiful way of relating mathematical concepts to real life. He literally, and I did yeah, I did uni online, I might preface, so these, my, my lectures online with my lecturer, and um, he had pizzas and he had uh, everything. Like I, that's the only one I remember, the pizza one, to be fair. But um, he had so many different real life examples to relate it back to that I was like, God, I actually get it. Like I get this. And so aced and actually got a distinction in maths. I did laugh about that one, but got a distinction in maths because he was able to apply in real life concepts where I actually got it and it was meaningful to me and I understood it. So this is going back to children as well. The more that we can make it meaningful, the more that we can make it relate to their interests and their strengths and their ideas and follow questions that they want to know, the more that they're going to absorb that information. And really test it out in their play. Does this make sense for me? Do I believe this? And having those beautiful conversations and reflections with them around it as well. Now, I was, you go through different times in life. Now, remember, there's a very big distinction between play and play-based learning. In fact, I'm touring around East Australia, Eastern Australia, is that right? Yep. Eastern Australia doing workshops and conferences with an organization based on play. So I'm super excited about this. But what we want to do, make sure that you do research and really reflect on that within your own practice and define your own what is play-based learning. There is a very distinct difference. And as I said earlier, we've gone too far. We need to find that middle ground, which is like, yep, we have some structure. It is not just chaos and the children are just running around everywhere. Um, We have those boundaries. The children know that this is an inside environment, outside environment, that they are safe. 
and when children feel safe and regulated, this is what is important. When they feel unsafe and dysregulated, this is where your fight, flight or freeze response kicks in, like we talked about in our last week's episode. And this is where it becomes chaos. And they'll just, some children will freeze, some children will just run around um, in their flight mode. And children hate being stuck in four walls. It's when I, I just read this, um, I'll find it actually. I read this quote and it said, um, here, I'll find it. Where is it? It said, when we become aware of how the school system is, is a conditioning agent to instill in children obedience to authority, passivity and tolerance to tedium for the sake of external rewards, we begin to question the school performance as a metric of well-being. Maybe a healthy child is one who resists schooling and standardization, not one who excels at it. And that was really interesting. And um, Peter Gray, he does a lot of beautiful work around play. And so if you look up his work, he's got some so many beautiful videos and a TED talk um, that is amazing to watch. Um, and once you go down that rabbit hole with him, you, you don't stop. So it's just a continuous journey. So Peter Gray, this is his words. He said, ask any school child why they don't like school and they'll tell you school is prison. They may not use those words because they're too polite or maybe they've already been brainwashed to believe that school is for their own good and therefore it can't be prison, but decipher their words and the translation generally is school is prison. Um, bringing that back to early childhood, they may not say school is prison, but ask them what their least favourite time of the day is and there are two distinct times. One, sit down time. That's where the teachers just tell me to sit down, sit down, cross your legs. Those are those group times where children have to sit down and cross their legs. Again, just like the worksheet and the stencils, think about your purpose. Think about your outcome. What is it that you want to achieve during those times? How do your children learn best? There's a rule of thumb that children can only sit for their number of minutes of their age, three-year-old, three minutes, five-year-old, five minutes. So sometimes group times are going for 10, 20, 30 minutes. And we wonder why children are jumping around like kangaroos. The second time of the day that children is their least favorite is rest time. So think about and ask the children, involve them in those conversations and those times of the day. What do they want to be doing during those times? How is Let them know. It's important that you rest your body and rest your brain, but how can we do that? It is so fascinating to see what children come up with. I remember um, once I asked them and they said, oh, we they obviously had a list of things like books and, and they wanted these little games and that's fine. And then the one of them was, oh, I just want the sticky. I want to do the sticky. So the children had a habit of going around and taking all the blue tack off the wall and that's what they meant. They just wanted to play with the the sticky stuff um, during that time, which would have been a sensory sensory experience for that child so we tried to come up with an alternative um, that fit based on what they had requested to do during that time so go through each part of your routine so whether it's name writing like go through what do you want children to learn and really go part of go part 
uh, well, break apart, I should say, each each section of your um, routine or flow of the day and be like, how can I integrate this in? So name writing, are they writing their name on all of their artwork? They do at least 50 drawings a day um, and their paintings and whatever they're doing. Are they writing their name each time? Um, so many so many creations and individual creations that go in the bin because they don't have a name. Um, so really practice there. Do you have little name cards that they can continually practice over and over and over again? It is is actually harder for a teacher and I just want to preface this because we're talking about writing it is harder for a teacher to untrain bad habits than it is for a teacher to teach writing in the first place so um, I wouldn't recommend unless you have had training with how to teach children and the progression of writing um, to do it because it is so, it's so hard to unteach bad habits once they've learned. Because the the first way that you learn to write, even if it's children just practice, if children just practice and do it themselves, that's fine. But the way that a child learns to write the first time is how they will default to write their entire life. Um, so we want to make sure that that progress and that pr- progression, even the even the direction of doing an O, for example, which way do they go when they um, write their pens? Um, capital letters are obviously important. Get them to scribble, scribble, um, pre-writing. What does that say? Experiment with different letters. Fine, no problem. But um, yeah, no formal education. And think about where you can implement it into different times of your day. So do you, going back again to name writing, so do you have a sign-in sheet where children sign in each day when they enter the room, just like the families, so they can write their name in there each day? A beautiful service I visited, they had little locker labels, but the children actually wrote their name on their locker labels each day and popped it up on their locker. And I thought that was really sweet to mark the child's ownership over their space. So there's some beautiful creative ways if we do pull all of those tools out of our tools tool belt and let go of our egos of I'm a teacher I need to teach you how to do this you are still doing it but you're doing it through ways that the children are interested in and the beauty they're not even going to realize they're learning and they're going to get all of that goodness in all of those neural pathways as they're going through so break down that routine that flow of the day look at what you want them to learn and how can you integrate it into things that you are already doing now, when we have, oh, that's right. I wanted to share a story. I make, I make notes, right? So I wanted to share a story. So with play and play-based learning. So in our environment, in, in my center, we actually had no toys. It was all loose parts. It was all materials where children had to use their creativity and imagination to be able to create things. The sad thing is because creativity has declined by 90%, it is a process to teach children how to play. Um, if when they're born and babies, if they're actually raised in that environment and have plenty of time outdoors and in nature, you just give them a stick or a box um, to be able to encourage them to utilize that imagination. Perfect. But if they've had a life of Fisher and Paykel flashy, flashy toys um, and they haven't had to really do anything or use their imagination in their life for anything, it they lose it. Because what you don't use, you lose. Those are those neural pathways after six. Those You don't have the neural connections um, forming anymore. You lose them. They disappear. That's why at six, they have the most. So what you want to do anyway. So yes, in our environment, we had all those parts and obviously encourage imagination, curiosity. 
And so there would be times we didn't have any structured time. Um, we did have journals. So each child had their own journal, which they would, which we'd encourage them to draw a picture in each day and ask questions and reflect on their day. We had candle time, which was just a time for mindfulness and reflection and asking questions about their day and just to really breathe out and and just to calm in those moments but I I would and I go through phases at times when I would really doubt is what I'm doing the right thing for the children it is so tough when there's no measurement and it is so tough to have the pressure of all the families you know Lisa why don't you do worksheets why don't you do this now I will preface to say that we were very um very strong in our articulation and our message that if you're looking for worksheets, this is not the center for you um, in our induction and our orientation. It was a very, very strong process. But every now and then, the year before school, the parents would be like, Lisa, why don't you do worksheets? Is my child writing? Are they ready for school? And we would go over all of the beautifulness um, with their child and their individual. But in these moments of doubt, just little creepy little doubt in the back of my mind, I would at times do a little sneaky test with the children's knowledge. And guess what? They knew it all. They knew it. They knew their letters. They knew their numbers. They knew how to count. They knew all the shapes. They, they knew it all. And every time I did it, I felt so guilty that I doubted what we were doing because they knew it. They did know that. So when we have regulated, emotional, intelligent, social beings who are confident enough to experiment and make mistakes, celebrate failures, celebrate mistakes, this is where the magic happens. It's our job to reflect in these moments with what could they have done differently next time and keep their minds and bodies actively engaging in things they are interested in. Children will retain knowledge when they are interested. And that's it. So that's it for me, folks. Um, I hope it hasn't been too preachy. Those are my ideas and my understanding. And I feel like I haven't really um, mastered this storytelling today very well. Um, it's been a huge week, obviously, connecting with you all um, ha- uh, around the Directors Academy and chatting and, and centre visits. So, um, yes, feel different today than, than most days when I do the podcast. And it's nighttime I'm recording this now. So... Um, yes, but I hope you've enjoyed today's episode. I would love any teachers out there to reach out. Let me know what you're struggling with. Is this an area that you are struggling? And if you are, sometimes it's just about building your knowledge around different um, theorists and different perspective and the research so that you're confident and you can articulate that to your families. The more that you communicate the better and the more that they'll have faith in you as a professional. Like don't just hide under a blanket or under a thing and be like, no, just don't ask me about that. Um, Don't ask me, are they ready? Don't ask me this. Know the information, um, have an information pack, have a worksheet, a black worksheet, gosh, that's what I mean, an information sheet that you can give them in a letter to be like, look, this is what we're aiming for here. This is where it has come from. So the schools, get the schools involved, get the research involved and share that information with families. So I hope this has been helpful. 
and a foundation and always stay curious, keep learning and remember that every child is a world of potential waiting to unfold. So thank you every much. Oh, thank you everyone for listening today. And if you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to share it with your amazing human friends. So thanks so much for listening and I will see you next week. Thanks for listening to the Everything Early Childhood podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media or leave a rating and review. We read them all. (laughs) To catch all the latest from me, your host, Lisa Brown, you can follow me on Facebook and Instagram at Lisa Brown underscore Platinum Ed. Thanks again for listening. Keep making every moment count and I'll see you next time.